This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. One of the things we're going to discuss right now is some changes in, I want to say philosophy, but it's a philosophy they would, China has liked to have put in place over the last few years, but haven't been able to have the success they would like. But it it involves the ownership of state-owned enterprises, and in the push to expand, the Chinese government is looking at more mixed ownership with entities outside the government for investment. Marshall Meyer is a professor emeritus here at the Wharton School and was part of a paper on this subject that was released it was released by the Paulson Institute, uh, and he joins us here in the studio to shed a bit more light on the topic. Professor Meyer, great to have you on the stu- in the studio and great to have you here on the show. Thanks so much, Dan. Great to be here. Great to have you here. Uh, what areas uh, of the Chinese economy are we talking about in terms of this this push to bring more mixed ownership in? Well, we're talking about the large state enterprises. Um, mostly uh, central enterprises, but the local governments are getting in the act as well. Last count, about 15 provinces said they were going to implement mixed ownership programs. So explain the idea behind mixed ownership programs and, and why this, this change, all of, or all, I shouldn't say all of a sudden, but they've been trying to do it for a few years. Uh, more than a few years, but the immediate impetus comes from the third plenum of the uh, Central Committee of the Party last uh, November. And the third plenum report came out very strongly on two points. Uh, One point is the market is, quote, decisive, unquote, uh, as distinct from, quote, fundamental, unquote, uh, in earlier statements coming out from the party. Uh, That's an interesting change in itself. But the second piece was this notion of mixed ownership or a mixed ownership economy. It's a waffle. It's a compromise Mm -hmm. between outright privatization, to which at least the conservatives in the party object very, very strongly, and on the other hand, uh, maintaining the present system, which isn't working very well. How much of this is is also, I guess, an understanding that uh, obviously now, but in the last few years, the the importance of the Chinese economy to the global uh, economy is is just it's very, very important right now. I don't think the Chinese are much affected by what the rest of the world thinks Mm -hmm. or how the rest of the world values their participation in the global economy. They want to be big, no doubt about it. But the concern is almost entirely on domestic issues, and these domestic issues are, at this point, overwhelming. What's happened is this. Um, China tried to defer uh, 2008. And they did so by a massive stimulus program in proportion to GDP, much, much larger than anything any other country did, including the U.S. And the stimulus program involved mainly fixed asset investments. So they threw a lot of money into infrastructure. They threw a lot of money into plant equipment, ended up throwing a lot of money into real estate. Mm -hmm. And here's the result. More and more investment, return on investment goes down. And of course, all this investment was done by state enterprises that had access to credit. Mm-hmm. Non-state enterprises didn't, in fact. They're out there in the shadow banking system paying three, four, five times the interest rate that uh, state enterprises are paying. 
We're talking with Marshall Meyer, Professor Emeritus here at the Wharton School, the University of Pennsylvania, about the paper that uh, he uh, co-authored called Making Ownership Matter, Prospects for China's Mixed Own- uh, Ownership Economy. So for obviously for many, many years, the, the fact that, that the term state-owned was tied to China, that that basically was the norm. That was what everybody expected from from China. Well, um, yes, but there's a confusion here. Okay. Um, if you go back prior to 1978, certainly prior to 1988, yes, almost everything of any significance was state-owned. Yep. You know, any firm with more than eight employees, state-owned. Um, but the first stage of reform uh, separated uh, – so-called state-owned enterprises uh, from the government. And subsequent stages, um, they created this hybrid, this Mm -hmm. halfway house called legal person ownership. And it's not really understood over here, but it's basically this. You've got the state. The state holds shares in a holding company. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is a legal person entity because it's registered as a company. This company, in turn, holds shares in operating companies. And so, so, so what, what's happened over the years is that state ownership has diminished substantially. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me. You've got the numbers in the paper in yep. front of you. We don't want to take the time of the audience with these numbers, but it's really <laughs> gone down. Okay, but they've substituted for they substituted for direct state ownership, indirect state ownership, and state control via these halfway houses, legal person entities, mm-hmm. and. These, to most observers, these entities can look like private companies. Many strategy scholars treat them as private companies. Yeah. But in fact, they're state-controlled in many cases. And when they are, they might just as well be state-owned. Yeah. Let me ask you this. If, in the report that you put out, you say that a lot of the businesses that are over in China really have still a lot of concerns about about mixed ownership, about bringing private entity into this. They feel like they would lose control uh, of their profits, of, of their operations, correct? Well, here's here's the concern. Um, uh, it's, uh, imagine you're a private entrepreneur, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. And imagine that you've got a stash of cash, okay? And the government comes along and, quote, encourages you to invest in an entity that's state-controlled mm-hmm. via legal person entity. Um, and the question is, what are you going to get for that investment? Mm-hmm. And as you saw in the quotes in the paper, some people are saying, you know, we're not going to, you know, it's not a good investment. We're not going to get a good return. We won't have any say in the control of the organization. Yeah. Let me give you an analogy. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, a very recent analogy, Alibaba. Sure, yeah. We've all read about it. It yeah, dominated absolutely. the headlines, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. One of the questions about Alibaba is control because there are sure. different classes of shares, right? Yeah. And it's controlled by a minority of shareholders. People buying the shares listed in the U.S. Uh, may not have control rights. Sure. Okay. The same thing happens within China with state-owned, state-controlled organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, by agreement, sometimes they're not even different classes of shares. The controlling shareholder is the state. Hmm. And no matter how many shares are privately owned, ultimately the decision the lies with the state. Now, 
let me go back to the empirics for a second here. Um, okay, how do we get at this? Mm-hmm. And this this was the really surprise that struck us because we had believed, following the work of many economists, that information on control was only available in aggregate form, not on a firm-by-firm level. Mm-hmm. But then we called through the annual industrial surveys, which have been going on for years and years and years. Um, and we then went through literally the directions. You know, as they say with software, and all else fails, read the directions. Sure, yeah, <laughs> okay. exactly. Well, we read the directions in Chinese. Hundreds of pages of directions for firms filling these things out, okay? <laughs> and, and lo and behold, we came across a very simple item, which says, who's the controlling shareholder? Yeah. No one, no one knew it was there. Huh. And that's what allowed us to get at the issue of state control as distinct from registration, as distinct from ownership. Yeah. They're, they're, all three are different, and they may not line up perfectly. They will line up if you have a pure play state-owned enterprise where right. 100% state shares, state-controlled, a pure play private enterprise. Again, uh, 100% privately owned, no state shares. There may be legal person shares, but they're going to be privately controlled. Right. Um, but um, we found this gray area, and it's a huge chunk of China where firms have or at least can have in principle different forms of ownership. And this gray area includes some of the largest firms in China and the largest listed state-controlled entities. And that's where we focused. Right. And so with the success, and you bring up uh, a couple of the the private firms in China that obviously have well-known brands and and have done very well globally, Huawei Technologies, uh, Lenovo, uh, Mm -hmm. obviously that, you know, those are two brands that that people know extremely well over in, in the United States. So and Suning is coming. And yes, and that that's the appliance company. Right. And, and so with the success of those, it, it, why then is there the, the resistance then, I would imagine, I, I wonder, to seeing this type of growth with other companies, to, you know, to be able to, to, to venture into other parts of the world? Well, I'm not sure there's resistance to venturing in other parts of the world. Or in, concern. In, in fact, quite the opposite. The uh, uh, China's now in the midst of another, quote, go out campaign. Okay. And um, uh, I actually just participated in the preparation of a report for the uh, China Chamber of Commerce, China General Chamber of Commerce U.S., mm-hmm. um, where they're looking at... Um, uh, how the companies in the U.S. have fared. Uh, the report won't be released uh, till December, so I can't say a heck of a lot about it. Sure. Um, but th- uh, there, there's there's no reticence about going out. Okay. Um, the reticence is about letting go of state control. Sure. And, uh, um, and there are a couple of reasons. I think the official reason, I think, would be this or two official reasons. One official reasons is there's always great reluctance to let go of state property. Sure. Particularly when, as in the case of Citic cited in the paper, the shares are underwater. Underwater meaning the shares are lower than net asset value. It's sure. a term they use in China we call book value, yep. right? Yep. Um, and it's just a no-no in China. You don't, you don't basically let state assets atrophy like that. Uh, so it's hard selling those shares. 
on the one hand. Um, uh, 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 on the other hand, um, uh, they, the, the claim would be made that the state must maintain control in strategic sectors. Sure. And these would include things like, obviously, uh, the airframe industry, um, um, mentioned in the paper, uh, electrical generation Oil and distribution. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, you know, petro, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. They say, these are strategic. We have an interest in them. Um, can't let go of them. The, but there's another reason. Okay. And um, remember, the majority of the state-controlled firms are not central government firms. There are only 117 or so okay. large central government SOEs at this point. They've whittled them down. They'll probably get the number below 100. Mm -hmm. The majority of such firms are locally owned. State ownership extends to provinces and municipalities. Mm -hmm. So, again, the example I use in the paper uh, Shanghai Automotive Group, which owns half of the joint ventures with VW, with yep. GM, which interestingly are now being investigated by the Chinese government for anti-monopoly <laughs> stuff. But hey, you know. Didn't, didn't, didn't Shanghai at one point try and take a run at Saab as well? Uh, or, or is that, uh, that was another Chinese uh, automaker, I believe. Uh, no, it was Geely. Uh, Geely, uh, that's who it was, that's uh, right. And that acquired Volvo. That's right. That's and right. Uh, that's going to be really interesting to see if they can make Volvo work. Um, we'll take a little diversion here just for a moment yes. because it's a fun diversion about the relationship of uh, Shanghai to GM. I don't know whether you, uh, you know or your audience knows that GM, you know, in the midst of all of its travail in 2009, had to raise, raise cash sure. anywhere, yep. any way it could. Yep. And so they sold a controlling 1% to SAIC, which is an arm of the Shanghai government, Shanghai yep. Automotive Industry Group. Yep. And, um, and said, basically, we need money so bad that um, we'll give you control yeah. for a price. I mean, it was I don't know how many millions of dollars. It, was, it wasn't billions, but it was a lot of money, and GM needed it. Sure. Okay. And, and Shanghai said, sure. Guess what happened two and a half years later? Uh, SAIC has got wonderful leadership, by the way. They've been here for an executive program, several executive programs. Mm -hmm. Wonderful leadership. Um, uh, they turned around to GM and said, we want you to take these shares back. <laughs> How come? Because we need your expertise. We don't want to huh. control this. And so it went back to 50-50. I don't know whether you were sold back for a nickel or a dime. I don't know exactly the transaction That's cost. That's interesting. Isn't that, isn't that really interesting? Yeah, okay. that you would have total control, yet want to give it back. Yeah, and I mentioned this in the context of this paper. Okay. As an existence, you know, it's kind of the existence proof. It can be done. Yeah, right. It is possible for government to say, we're going to withdraw a little bit from sure. control. Sure. And I've got to go study this very, very carefully. I didn't mention it in, in, the, in, in, in the paper from the Paulson Institute. Right. But clearly, I've got to go study this very carefully as an example of directions to take. Because otherwise, it seems impossible. It seems implausible. Well, yeah, why would anyone why give would, up? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't seem to make sense on a lot of different levels that that, that you would do this. Um, if you want innovation, okay, all right. If you want all kinds of other things, okay, you may want to do it. But that's got to be studied. I don't know all, all right. the answers there, but I now know that it has to be based on this paper. I now know that it has to be studied. You bring up the the levels of how big this this mixed mixed and owned uh, sector could be. Yeah. For, for China. What are, what are we talking about, the levels here? Well, if, if you look in this what I call gray area, yeah. 
And the, these are firms is legally, and I, and I did it in an arbitrary way, and I know some people are going to clobber me for this because there's always <laughs> arbitrariness in the selection of cases, okay? <laughs> but what I did is I took the, quote, other LLCs, limited liability sure. companies, yeah. uh, which are limited, gosh, I think to 50 shareholders. Okay. And then the, um, quote, other uh, shareholding companies, which can have an unlimited number of shareholders. Um, um, what is it? Codes 159, 160 in the you know industrial survey. Mm -hmm. And said, these are the mixed ownership companies, or at least they're potentially mixed ownership companies. Um, uh, uh, again, technical issue. Um, there are private shareholding companies. Mm -hmm. There are private LLCs. There are also 100% state-owned LLCs. Mm -hmm. Uh, there are not 100% state-owned shareholding companies because there's only one shareholder when they're 100% state-owned, the state, right. or quote the whole people. Okay, so I took these firms in the middle. Okay, now that's a huge swath of China's industrial capacity. These are all industrial firms, by the way. Sure. Um, it's about, what's the number? About 20% of the firms with revenues above 5 million RMB. Um, in the years covered, I've got to put all these qualifications on here because the data changes. Um, and it's about 40% of the industrial capacity of China. So it's a, That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot. Right. That's a lot. So mixed ownership, but my view, is not new. Right. It's, it, been, it's huge. Being, it's being been wrapped in a different package. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And so then in some respects, even though it's being labeled something different uh and there are obviously a lot of similar aspects to what you've seen in the past we're not talking about a, a a ton of change then are we well um uh we are in the following respect okay you know think think again who wins and who loses in this game um the state enterprises um, and by that, I mean not only the pure play, 100% state-owned enterprises, yep. but also the state-controlled enterprises sure. that are not registered as state enterprises because they're registered as LLCs or they're registered as, uh, um, uh, registered as shareholding companies. Mm -hmm. um, they get an influx of capital, right? Mm -hmm. And that means uh, they rely a little less on debt. And the indebtedness of these companies is a huge issue today. Absolutely. They're in debt, um, I would say up to their ears, but that would be, <laughs> that's an understatement. Okay, the, the debt problem in China lies with local governments and state enterprises. Right. Not with the central government, not overseas, like us, but it lies right there. So, helps them get out of debt. Right. Secondly, the analysis of the paper suggests that there is, tra there is technology transfer. Mm-hmm that their productivity goes up, although we didn't use productivity, we didn't use TPE, we just looked at a very simple measure. Uh, what was it, industrial value added, divided by assets. And, uh, it, it, but it's a, it, you know, it's a rough measure of efficiency, and efficiency goes up. Mm -hmm. uh, because what you, you not only get some money, but you get some, you get know-how, you get technology, you also get managerial know-how, okay? What doesn't happen is the, the it's bottom line performance, which we measure by ROA. Yeah. Doesn't go up very much. Okay. And why is that? Because it's much harder 
to transfer the ethos of capitalism. The idea that you operate for your shareholders. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than for, quote, the whole people. Right. Exactly. And and, and so, um, so in some sense, the state gets, gets what it wants, gets a little bit out of debt. It gets more output, more GDP. The sure. problem is the investors don't get what they want. Right. And, and, and hence the quotes at the beginning of the paper. We're talking with Marshall Meyer, Professor Emeritus here at the Wharton School here at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, and then in going forward with this idea with the mixed ownership, what are what are kind of the challenges that are are, are in the in the offing for this for this idea in the next few years? Well, I think on the surface, as we've already seen, people will line up and say, "Terrific." Uh, Xi Jinping's very powerful leader. Yep. And um, I think any program that has his personal endorsement, and this does, mm-hmm. um, is going to go forward. It's it's inevitable. It's inexorable. Right. Because once he says yes, it's going to move move ahead. In, in the current environment, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, you've got to respect the fact that he's consolidated power. Mm-hmm. Um, whether... This will be a reluctant yes or an enthusiastic yes. Who knows uh, what the effect will be? Uh, who knows? So there's this really delicate balance that has to be struck between, on the one hand, encouraging private investment where it's needed, mm-hmm. not simply opportunistic private a- investment that goes for the best like assets. Kind of picking and choosing cherry the right picking. spots. Yeah, cherry picking. Yeah. Okay. Um, and putting that investment uh, where it's going to do so good, do some good. Yeah. And uh, I would hope that we're able to find not that, not just the case of GM in Shanghai, but other cases where, in fact, for good business and maybe social reasons as well. Yeah. The government backed off from control and saw it was in everyone's interest to allow private investors a little more elbow room in shaping the direction of an enterprise. So then what are those areas? I mean, you spent a lot of time researching this. I mean, just from your opinion, what are probably the couple of areas that, that would seem to bring the most benefit for China without – giving away that that control that we're talking about um you know that's a tough one the reason it's a tough one is because of the social calculus involved it's clear that um there are many smokestack almost sunset industries in china yeah um it's clear um that um private investment uh could shape up these industries pretty quickly sure um but at the cost of jobs Okay. Yeah. There, there, there lies the problem. I'll give you a simple example: steel industry. Mm-hmm. Um, they've tried to consolidate the steel industry. Uh, one of the big players, Bao Steels, acquired uh, um, uh, 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 Guangdong Steel. Big operations in and around Guangzhou, um, and yet they've not really been able to integrate it because integration will lead to worker displacement. Yeah. There was even a complex plan before 2008-2009 to take the real estate that the company owned in Guangzhou, sell that real estate off, and then use that real estate to pension the workers. Hmm. Um, 
that was the compromise. But since um, 2008, 2009, that's gotten a little bit difficult. And then we have Jiangsu province, uh, you know, private steel companies doing very, very well. But I would imagine that in a country with the population that, that China has, anything where private investment would come in and the potential of loss of jobs is there, that's, that's going to be almost squashed immediately because of the fact, as you mentioned, just the, the, the jobs themselves. But that's got to be juxtaposed against the asymptote that the economy is hitting. Yeah. See, not only the private, uh, not only do the state enterprises uh, are they carry not are carrying huge debt, mm-hmm. but precisely because they're overinvested, their return on investment's going down and down and down. You know, this is a radio program, TV program. I get up my charts <laughs> and show you. Okay. And it's just a chart going south. Well, if you look at the rates of growth, I mean, you take the first derivative. Yeah, everything goes south beginning in 1990. Take this hyperdermic, stimulate the economy. Yeah. Instant growth. Sure. Hey, China's China avoided the Great Recession, right? Right. Okay. But then everything, including things like purchasing managers index, it all just trends downhill yeah. inexorably. And especially the profitability of the large state SOEs. And so something's got to be done about it because otherwise it's a further drag on the economy. Sure. The question is swallow the pill now or swallow a bigger bigger pill later. So then I guess then is there a benefit to to one or the other if if you as you said you swallow that pill now or swallow it later is there is there a leaning one way or the other? I don't know they're leading. Yeah. What I mean, would, I, what, I, would, what would your opinion be? Well, it's the question I was asked over here in Arresti the other day, uh, executive education. Okay, Marshall, what are you going to do about this? What should... <laughs> <laughs> We're going to send you over, back over, and take care of everything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and you know, you can always answer with a mirror, right? Sure. And, and so I said, here's what I would have done, and I might still do now. Yeah. What I would have done, and here's the problem. It, it illuminates what the problem is. What I would have done is take the money, some of the money, otherwise put into plant and equipment, yeah. and put it into upgrading the labor force, into human capital rather than physical capital. That's great. Thank you for coming in, Marshall. Oh, Lots you're more than welcome. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.